Among the various structures on Yushan Mountain is the tomb of Ziyou, who was one of Confucius's disciples. Ziyou was from here at a time when this whole area was part of the Wu State during the Spring and Autumn period. Not only was this the age of Confucius, but also that of Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, Sun Tzu, the Art of War fella, and Siddhartha Gautama, better known as the Buddha. This general era also saw the birth of Judaism and Hinduism and classic Greek philosophy. There really must have been something in the air at this time. Tsuyo was one of many disciples who spread Confucian ideas throughout the lands, more successfully than the great sage himself, who tried to travel around and become a sort of policy advisor to regional leaders, but in the end went home and became a popular teacher. One of the most important disciples was Mencius, or Mengzi, who played an important role a century or so after Confucius had died. Often Confucius and Mencius are spoken about in the same breath for this reason. Confucius died in 479 BCE, oblivious to the influence that his ideas would have on China. If only he'd managed to live on another 700 years or so, he'd have witnessed the Han dynasty, China's second imperial dynasty, make Confucianism the national ideology. It's hard to overstate the impact of Confucianism on Chinese society. It provides a way to live from the pauper right up to the priest and beyond. And if people conduct themselves in the virtuous ways that Confucius advises, all should be right with the world. The name of the game is harmony, a system whereby cultivation of the self creates harmony in the family, and cultivation of the family creates harmony within society. Crudely put, the philosophy explains that one must learn what is expected from the existing social order, which is called Li, and in the practice of living in that way, the individual realises the highest possible virtue, a kind of intuitive love of benevolence called Ren, for others within the family and society. The role of teachers is to maintain the social order by teaching well, although moral education begins in the family and is aided by music and literature. Everyone has their place and they shouldn't stray from it. And at the top is the leader, who rules by example. Be a moral leader and your people will be moral, as Confucius said. When ruled by moral virtue, so the theory goes, people will aspire to honour and shrink from shame, and that keeps people in check. This is quite different from the guiding emotion of Western societies, that of guilt, which stems from the concept of original sin in Christianity, and is the foundation of an individual's relationship with God. In the Western tradition, you can settle up with God in the anonymity of the confession booth, wipe the slate clean. With the Reformation in Europe in the 16th century, Martin Luther's ideas further promoted the humble, quiet individual relationship with God, over the outward expression of faith that he saw as corrupt in the Catholic Church. Hence why a lot of Christian ritual is quite sombre and internal. That's not to say that shame and the expectations of the community don't have a role, of course. Just think about the families that force their daughters to have abortions to avoid the shame of having so-called illegitimate children. But it's the guilt of the individual, rather than the shame of letting down one's community, which is the driving factor in the West. The internal policeman which keeps you from stepping over the line. And you can see how this has played out in the modern post-religion world that we live in now. The way Western leaders apologise for imperial wrongs, or the concept of white guilt for the woke, and also the importance that we put into whether we think someone is authentic or superficial. It's also the basis of our individualism. You've heard the line, this is my truth. In contrast, in the Eastern world, the ritual and the conduct of a person is more important than the true feelings they hold inside. Shame and not losing face makes people conform or make strict parents pressurise their children to meet the expectations of the community, 
to get married at a certain age, to study hard, etc. None of this carve-out-your-own-path stuff. In practice, this means a pretty firm hierarchy within society, where rule-takers are expected to take rules from the rule-makers, who are expected to make the rules. Within the family, the men are expected to be benevolent towards the women, who are in turn expected to respect the will of the man, no questions asked. It's all about obedience, loyalty and respect to elders and superiors. Two important words which are essential to understand Chinese society, even today, are guan xi, which refers to the importance of relationships as a means to getting things done and conducting oneself, and mianzi, which means face, i.e. losing face. Throughout all levels of Chinese society, from the top of the CCP to the businessmen, to the traders at the local markets and the ayis, or aunties, the middle-aged ladies who clean the expats' home in Shanghai, you can see these important concepts playing out. Of course, for someone ruling an empire, it doesn't take too long to see how this philosophy could be put to good use. Chinese emperors claim the mandate of heaven to legitimise their rule. And this concept was around before Confucius. But Confucianism backs up the status of the ruler in requiring obedience from others. That said, China has been no stranger to rebellions and every imperial dynasty has been dethroned at some point. In Confucian terms, this isn't a sign of disobedience, but rather a sign of bad governance. The righteous leader would not need to defend themselves. The character of the ruler is like the wind, as Confucius said, and that of the people, grass. The grass bends when the wind blows on it. The mandate of heaven simply moves to the victor, the one who makes the people bend in the wind of their benevolent rule. Of course, the antithesis to hierarchy and inequality is surely communism, and China's been ruled by communists since 1949. Mao even had a cultural revolution which should have further put to bed the old ways of thinking. But that doesn't mean that Confucianism is dead in China. Far from it. And so I chatted to an old friend, Man Zhou, who is in Shanghai, to find out more about the relevance of Confucianism in modern China. First, I want to uh, clarify that. What do you think about the, the definition of the Confucianism? Well... Do you think you've got like um, the idea of the family and like the father at the head of the family and like mm-hmm. the different levels and then like no. in the no. and things like this? Is that what you're thinking of? No, no, I don't think so. You know, and that's the reason why I ask this question. You know, that's Kongzi and Mengzi. That series together, we call that Kongmengzi. So, just when you said the father, the son, the wife, they are in different level, different uh, uh, social position. That's mm. not the this kind of theory. I think it's, it doesn't belong to the Confucian drama. Okay. You know, in the Han Dynasty reform, do you know the Dong Zhong Shu? No, I don't know that. What's that? Dong Zhong Shu, this very important guy. And in the Han Dynasty, Dong Zhongshu had reformed Confucianism. He built uh, the, the, the social levels, just as you said just now. But it's not the real Confucianism. You think it's the way that the Han Dynasty yeah, used Dynasty the system for their benefit? Benefit the government, benefit the king's domination. Yeah. I, yes. Before the Dong Zhongshu uh, period, Kongzi and Mengzi, I think we can call that Confucianism. 
but even if it's not like the re the truth of what Confucianism yes. means, don't you think it's still how society experiences it? Uh, yeah. So, what would be the central uh, thought of that system if you take away the the way the Han Dynasty rethinks it? If you take that out of the way, what would be the original kind of pure, more pure uh, Confucianism, the way you would understand it? Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, the pure Confucian should be the Ren Yi Li Zhi Xin. Go on, translate that one for us. <laughs> yeah, Ren Yi Li Zhi Xin. That's the core contents of, of the Confucian. Ren Yi Li Zhi Xin. Okay, the core content. The, yeah. Ren Yi Li Zhi Xin. I I can type it for you. Okay. So it's um, Ren Yi Li Zhi Xin. It's um. It means in English benevolence, righteousness, wisdom, and faith, according to this translation. So you, oh, this translation is, is not. It, yeah. Is that is that is that about right? Yeah. Mm, it's not. Uh, I, I think it's, I also check the translation. I think it's not very correct. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those things that um, it's hard to translate into English. And also, you know, the the conviction encourage the people to respect uh, older and cherish children. And also, the the Confucian, you know, encourage people to uh, have good education. You know, the yeah. good education also means can have good um, social position. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so this kind of I think this kind of perception. Deeply influence the China people thinking. You you describe that um, it means you know have uh, what respect towards your elders, and these things. That sounds to me like it does uh, lead to a kind of you know different level so society. That I think is different. Respect older and the child's children is just uh, it is love. It is love between different generation, but. Just know the the wife, the son, the and the the father and the king. The king mm -hmm. have more power than the, than all the other people, and the father have the more power than the son. The son have to listen to the father. They have no choice, and the wife also have to listen to the the husband. Does that come from Confucianism in China? Do you think, or is it more yes, complicated than that? It's not come from the Confucian, not come from Mengs and and, uh, and and Confucian. It comes from the Dong Zhong Shu because uh, it yes. to use this to contain or to maintain the king's domination. Right. That's yes. Reason, that's the reason why they they, they create this theory. But um, and like for example, women's position in China until it's very low. Yeah, it's very low. It's it's better yes. now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the past uh, one hundred years, the women's position is totally changed. So, women women's position in society is far more equal in China. But how would you say that um, these Confucius ideas, maybe not just the original I idea from Kongzi himself, but Mengzi and Kongzi, Mengzi and Kongzi. Yeah, not only not only that, Mengzi. but but the kind of um, Han Dynasty mm -hmm. interpretation. And all of the history. How do you think it? We can see it in modern China. Like in, can we see it in in work relationships or what? 
Yes, 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 that's fine. The Chinese people still respect the teachers, respect orders, and also convince them play important role in our daily work, in our daily life, in our Chinese people thinking. That's the reason why we respect the, the, the older, the teachers, and also yeah. encourage work that people should work hardworking. I think this, this aspect is very important in the culture of Confucianism, should be hardworking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about, like, um, <clears throat> you know, um, one of the big changes in recent Chinese society is like mass consumerism. You know, people in China, they, they have the opportunity to really go wild shopping. How do you think that that challenges like the Confucian culture? Yeah, actually, I think in, in the past in the past thirty or forty years, after the reform and opening up of China, the Western culture have a big influence, a big impact to the Confucianism, mm. especially in the in the big cities. The young people, I think, uh, they also believe in the the Western the Western culture, freedom, the the the, the, the more focus on their own uh, own right. I mean, the young uh, people in the big city, they don't right. care about the relationship between the the old generation. <laughs> the cause, the reason, uh, is uh, is the Western culture influence. Yeah. Yeah, and in, are people in China worried about that kind of change for what it means for China, uh, or Chinese people, or c c the cultural change? I think different, different people have different opinions, but for me, I think it's very normal. It's very normal. It's China, at the present, it makes the culture. They also accept some of the Western culture, and also still keep some of the China traditional culture, for example, Confucianism. I think mm. many people uh, similar to me in this kind of style, we still keep our traditional thinking, but also, to be honest, we also influenced by Western culture. Yes. The two. But most um, traditional culture is very, very positive. And many people, uh, how to say, regain the traditional culture. You you think um, in the in the past few years um, a lot of people they've almost refound the value of Chinese culture. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. Uh, and I wonder, do people in China they look abroad to like the Western world, America, and maybe Europe, and they oh, think they think like, what it's. Um, <laughs> I mean, America has a lot of problems, for example. That's true. Many people, yeah. And, um, no, recently I read uh, many famous authors and famous person. They also announced this kind of perspective. Well, Chinese authors. Yes, we re we realized recent years the Western country, for example, American, faced lots problems. And do you think that? Um like the West, because of the, we have our way of looking at the world. It's very different. Do you think that we misunderstand China? Many people, yeah. I think many people misunderstand China because they didn't know the Chinese traditional culture. You know, when I was a child, I listened to the radio. Western countries forecast the, the future of China. They, they, they 
I mean, forecast what's wrong because I think the most Western people just think China according their own way. Most Western country people and also the government misunderstand of China. They think that China is a big threat, but I think maybe because China is different from Western countries, the culture different, of China will walk a different way. I mean, China is not threat of the West countries. The Chinese culture, you respect different culture. I I think in the past thousand years, China almost never invaded other countries. Uh, Chinese people are very care about the harmony. This is um, yeah. this is where maybe I think there is the the important point. I think that, and it comes from Confucius. I think the harmony. That's what yes, is the the aim. So there's no. If you look at Russia,、uh, its behavior is often. It is about the strongest move, and the stronger man wins. You know, you need to be strong, and that's, that's、totally、the way Russia does its thing. You know, different, totally different. Russia is the. I think the Russia has the aggressive, aggressive gene. Right, right. Whereas <laughs> the Chinese culture is totally different from. The Russia, the... yeah. The aim is like the harmony and、uh, sort of order, stability. Yeah. Yes. Yes. At the end, I want to、um, share、um, uh, the confusion there. So, in the east of China, only Japan, China, South Korea, and Singapore, they, they complete the industrialization. In my opinion, I think, and also many people think that because the Confucianism play an important role in that in those countries, that's the reason why they can achieve a good progress, a good development. But it's been slow by comparison to the Western development. That's true. For the、uh, industrialization, West country is the leader in this area, of course. But after that, only the Confucian countries can complete. But other countries, you know, for example, the uh, Muslim, how to say that, Muslim countries, South America, they can't finish. You think、um, it's Confucianism, which is at the center, which allows those Eastern countries to succeed?、Mm, I think I think it's a very important,、uh, mm. very important reason. Because it、Just、makes gives hard work and so- social harmony and things like that. Yes, pay mountain to the education,、um, harmony, hard working. Yeah, many many reasons. Yeah, many reasons. Yes, that gives us something to think about. I, I think I've、um, asked you everything I want about Confucius and stuff. So that's that's really、uh, yeah very interesting insight. Thanks, Manjo. Thank you. Also very interesting topic. Yeah, I think it's very interesting topic. Okay. Yeah, it's good to chat to you again after these years, you know. So、um, keep in touch, yeah. Okay. Do you have a plan to come back to China again?、Uh, not a plan, but a hope. <laughs> okay. Hope to see you in China again. I'll see you there. Now, obviously, there are some、uh, points of contention in that conversation about maybe the way China asserts itself or. The way it tolerates or doesn't tolerate other cultures within China, but、uh, I was trying to stay on point, look through the lens of Confucianism, not get too bogged down in the geopolitics every time.
So thank you to Manjo for his time there. I really appreciate it. And stay well in Shanghai. Now, if you'll recall, I'd been on a trip with Penny in the lake to the city. And when I got home and fired up the computer, I was greeted by an email from Kelly. Went like this. For a few weeks now, I've been over and over and over complaining to Jane about the food. Started when I took a bite of lunch and gagged and almost threw up because it was so gross. Having the choice between intestines and fish is unacceptable to me. This morning was the last straw. No meat, just green stuff and a sweet bun. Is that a meal? No. And our contract says we should have three meals a day. So I end up cooking three meals a day. Anyway, I'm asking for your help because when one person complains about things, they just ignore you and gossip about it in the office. But if all slash most of us say something, they might change something. I've asked two options. One, never eat there and get compensated monthly to pay for your own food. Two, cook better food even if it's just for the eight or so of us. Please help. Jane's phone number is 135 blah blah blah. I've been texting her every day to tell her I can't eat it. One reply to Kelly's message waited from the man who most enjoyed a good quarrel, the Right Honourable Eddie. That one went like this. I've expressed my disgust to Jane and reminded Shin that I also spend money cooking meals. After I said I was also told that my girlfriend would need, quote, her shots before she could eat from the cafeteria. I don't think they give a shit, at least Jane does not. One ear and out the other, with a nod and a year. Careless. I think as long as we go up one at a time, they just ignore it. Even if all of us complain but in separate instances and at this point even if we came all together at once, I think it's too late. That's a big reason why I was trying to rally everyone together in the first week to stand firm. But some folks didn't want to be a little bit forceful and some took what the school gave them so it failed and unfortunately so were most of our attempts at persuading them to change almost nothing. Ultimately I would like to see them change it where extra money is allotted for meals but I don't know how they would regulate all that. I'd also like to see us have Thanksgiving Day off to observe the holiday, one of the many things promised two years ago which was never followed through on. But you know we can choose to take Christmas Day off and it won't count towards our personal day. That's the end of Eddie's kind of dodgy English email. I sat back and considered the situation. Eddie was always up for a fight, and Kelly was always ready for one if it meant better or more food. Was I ready to stand up and fight for better free food? Honestly, the food was neither here nor there to me, and while I didn't want to let down my friends, I couldn't give a shit. It wasn't exactly afternoon tea at the Ritz, but neither was it as depraved as a pot noodle. More important than all that, however, was the wall that existed between us and the Chinese teachers, none of whom had so much as an ounce of power in the face of the mighty management. I'd seen this wall in Taiwan, and wanted to break it down rather than enforce it with spag bowl mortar. I replied individually to Kelly to say that it was not a fight I was willing to engage in. If someone wasn't being paid, or someone was being overworked, or someone was sick, or had no clean water, or whatever, then let's take to the street. But if the Chinese can eat it, then so can I. There's no picnic for sure, but then again, picnics aren't so great either. I'd have my fill of pork pies, and if it was time for intestines, then so be it. Penny and Cheryl were of the same attitude, but Kelly's voice was louder. By the time that Monday was upon us, we Lao Wai had special meals designated for us on fine white crockery with the knives and forks. Day one was spaghetti bolognese and an array of western-inspired blandness followed every day for a week. 
Spaghetti Gate did cause some resentment among Chinese staff, so I was told, although resentment would be a word far stronger than any used by the Chinese. Instead, I was told that they simply noticed. And you would too. Large apartments, high wages, the use of the e-bikes, short working hours, and now special nutritional advantages, or disadvantages, if you realised what was in that processed spaghetti. Coming from a country where the public complain about foreigners even when they're underpaid, overworked and living 20 to a room, I was amazed that our days treated as royalty hadn't yet come to a bloody end. It wasn't only preferential treatment that might cause friction. There were Chinese traditions in civility, especially around the table. These are numerous. One should, for example, wait for elders to pick up chopsticks first, signifying that the meal will commence, and let the senior male sit at the head of the table, and be aware that food is limited and not hog your favourite dish, and clink one's cup below that of your more respected drinking partner. A lot of this goes back to the Confucianism we were talking about. Traditions wane, but it's good to stay on the cautious side in a situation which could cause offence. In the canteen situation rather than the family home, these traditions are not really required. But the Chinese saying, Ru xiang sui su, suggests that if you enter a village, you should follow the customs. Or, when in Rome, eat the goddamn intestines. With all this in mind, I caught Jane in the hallway and told her that I wasn't going to partake in the preferential Lao Wai menu, and would have preferred it, to be honest, if we hadn't been given a discount at the bakery. She was thrown by these sentiments which, of course, make little sense from a mechanical perspective of economic self-interest. But the boat had sailed on the bakery issue, she said. If they stopped the discount now, the other foreigners wouldn't be happy. But the special food in the canteen was just a trial period. That much had been made clear. And sure enough, the next week we were back to salty wet veg and pork where the available meat was imprisoned between layers of fat and iron bars of bone. The rebellion had been suppressed. Next time on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, I take another trip, this time alone, and this time to Uxi, a city a few hours west of Changshu, beside the huge lake Taihu.